Hi guys, welcome back to the V Word. Vagina, vagina, vagina. This is Ask a Lady Doc, our short mini series where we talk to doctors who are not gynecologists but who still take care of women because turns out we have more than just vaginas. Stay tuned. Producer Bethany Bania has this interview with Dr. Lisa Rogo-Gupta, a urogynecologist. So I am a urogynecologist, which is a funny sounding word. Um, I've had friends ask me what's so special about gynecology in Europe and um, gotten the chance to then explain that it's actually about bladder function um, in women, that um, there's more in the pelvis than just having a period, than just your ovaries, that bowel and bladder function change with time and they're a natural part of our human existence. They have to happen. Um, and so that's a whole field actually. Sometimes I say I feel like I'm everybody's secret girlfriend um, because we talk to patients or I talk to patients about things that they don't normally discuss. So what has happened historically is that many women thought that their bladder symptoms had to be taken care of by a urologist. Um, and what has happened is we sort of realized that the gynecologist serves a very important role here. We um, have a unique relationship with patients. That's why we do what we do. Um, and we understand what goes on in their pelvis in a different way. We're more emotionally connected to it. Um, there's just no substitute for that in healthcare, we think. And so the urogynecology training now includes uh, female urology, it includes some colorectal surgery training, some um, that means your constipation and your hemorrhoids. Um, and so the modern urogynecology has now gotten a new name called, yes, Female Pelvic Medicine and Reconstructive Surgery. It's terribly long. It's a crazy acronym. It makes no sense, um, but it's basically um, a politically correct way of saying um, the person who probably knows you best also knows about your adult potty training, uh, and we're happy to talk about it. You touched on something, the lack of communication and maybe the silence that's mm -hmm. I mean I, I have to just bring this up I text Jen and Erica the other day saying hey I set up a Google News alert for women's health news I've been getting updates daily everything I'm seeing is diet related <laughs> and so there's just like this silence happening yeah and so it's it, I mean it goes down just to the particular field of just specific things that are happening to women that just aren't being talked about. Oh, absolutely. Urinary incontinence, so leakage of urine against your will, right, or at a non-socially convenient time, that's a huge one. And U.S. women have said that's the number one most embarrassing health issue. Um, so we know that most of them suffer in silence. We know that women in the past were sort of told, yes, dear, you know, live with it. Um, and the history of paternalism medicine and most of the providers in my sort of generation in this new world really feel like um, that's inappropriate and it's our responsibility to tell women of all ages what their options are to acknowledge this as an important health issue um, and to give them those choices and allow them right that's the informed consent process. It's the informed decision-making and the joint decision-making about what you want to do. But you're absolutely right. That's not as cool and as sexy as, you know, diet and, and cancer and breast exams. You know, all, everything is about that. When really, my issues affect more women. I think that's a, what the, the podcast has been such a great tool because 
it is your girlfriend. It, it can be that you're, you're listening in your car on your own. It's that comfortable space where it is the topic you are dying to talk about and you just haven't been, the door hasn't opened for mm-hmm. that conversation. So thank you for participating in this. I'm curious, what should people know about Eurogen? Mm, Maybe yes. we'll start there and then transition <laughs> into um, incontinence. Absolutely. So what people should know is that this can happen to men and women of all ages. I tend to talk about women, but there are providers that treat men for these things as well. Um, They're called female urologists. And I'm always happy to give referrals to my patients, family members. Um, But this can happen to men and women of all ages. Even women between 20 and 40, about 10% of them have one of these um, issues. We call them pelvic floor disorders, just to kind of generally um, take it away from from gynecology because we're not talking about periods. We're not talking about ovulation um, specifically. So about 10% when you're 20 to 40, and that's kind of a... A big deal um, because you're 20 right and you think your health is good and everything's working fine and then all of a sudden you're in the bathroom every hour or whatever it is and then with each passing couple of decades the numbers go up and up um, these issues can be worsened by emotional stressors and lifestyle changes I see many women who are getting their PhD divorced move job changes um, I also find that a lot of these uh, urogynecologic issues are secondary to other medical conditions. You may not even be realize what you're doing at home might be causing these dietary supplements, different types of exercises. I think what's really important is that once you're potty trained, your parents never go back in and say, "Hey, how's it going? Everything all right in there? You want to show me how how you're doing this?" That's that true. conversation never happens, and it isn't something you kind of talk about around the water cooler. And so, unless you notice sort of a change yourself, or if you say, "Huh, you know, something about this is negatively impacting my life. You know, I'm losing sleep, or I'm feeling isolated about this. I'm feeling depressed." I'm feeling like I am afraid of intimacy because something's going on down here and it's impacting my partner relationship, that I want women who are listening to this podcast or who are out there to feel empowered, to find somebody they feel comfortable with talking. Um, And there's more online resources available, but I think talking is the important first step. And then it's our job to kind of go through and figure out why it's happening to you and what can be done if you desire. And I think... um... An important aspect of that, like you mentioned, is knowing that you're not alone. And so that conversation, you know, should definitely happen. What are some of the symptoms people might see, uh, uh, common symptoms that, oh, people might, oh, yeah, that does happen to me. Yeah, that's a great question. So there's one where, uh, if we focus on urine, for example, either it comes too often or in situations where you don't want it to happen. So that could mean being sitting in a movie theater and realizing you can't sit through that whole movie anymore because you have to run to the bathroom. You start to sit at the edge of the aisle to make sure you can run out. That might mean um, skipping trips or parties to places where you don't know where the bathroom might be. Waking up in the middle of the night to urinate at times when it's disturbing your sleep and you're becoming moody or irritable because of it. Or you may not be able to go to the bathroom. You may be feeling like you need to go and get there and then nothing happens. Um, Feeling like you need to strain or push to really get it out. Those same symptoms can happen from the bowel. You can feel like you can't have a bowel movement um, and you feel 
bloated or full or in pain, or you may find that if you don't make it to the restroom in time, you might have an accident. Um, those are some of the big ones. Um, there's also things that can happen to the space between the bladder and the bowel. That's the vagina, the birth canal, the V word. Um, and sometimes you might feel like there's something in there. I feel like I left a tampon in, but I know I didn't. Or I feel like I'm giving birth again, and I know I'm not. Um, and I think that kind of feeling people tend to come in for sooner. Can you break down maybe some of the causes? And I know you, it can go really deep. So maybe how you would explain it to a patient that doesn't have the medical background. Yeah, absolutely. You'll always see that the most common things that people talk about are some kind of pregnancy and childbirth. And note that I said that separately because if you have been pregnant, even if you haven't carried that child to term, your body has changed due to the hormone exposure and makes you more stretchy um, so things can get displaced and dysfunctional. Um, age, so yes, as you get older, more of these things can happen. But there's some little known factors. Um, smoking, of course, can impact the body in many negative ways and this is included. Long-term straining. I think one of the silent ones that people don't, don't talk about is what many women call constipation. In other words, if you have to really push to get your bowel movements out very often, this can be just as much damage over time as having a baby. It's really meaningful. So um, yes, all of the spam emails about uh, diet, I kind of like if it encourages people to have better bowel habits, and I can get into more of that. Physical activity is another one that I talk to women about that they're always surprised about because these organs sit on, we call it the pelvic floor, the floor of your core. And everybody knows, oh, I want to strengthen my core. And you think of that as sit-ups and rowing. What you don't realize is if you're not doing it properly, you are pushing down on that floor and it will break. I can't tell you how many sit-ups it's going to take but it will happen. And I think people are shocked to hear that. Um, so that's a big one and we can talk about more of my uh, recommendations for that. And drinking too much fluid, quite frankly. Um, the people's impression that the more water, the better um, doesn't always work. The more you drink, the more you pee. <laughs> and I'm sure it varies, but leakage is happening. Is it just the muscles aren't, or they are? Great question. So I always describe it like as a as a door, as a room in a, with a door in it. If you think of the bladder as the room that holds the urine, and there's a little door that's supposed to stay shut until you tell it to open, right? You want to be in control of it. You want it to open when you say so. Um, there are situations when it is so full or you are so strong, you can push that door open without you know your permission. It just happens. And I tell patients the bladder will always win. If you are one of these people who has a weak door or a two-full bladder or something about this relationship is off, you will lose. The bladder will win. On a positive note, <laughs> what are some of the treatments? And I'm sure it varies by situation. Um, and maybe this will push us into Kegels. I was going to say, <laughs> that's always the first one. Yeah, that's always the first one. The Kegels are um, a funny thing. So... Most people know that phrase, they know that word Kegels, um, and it could be from their mom, it could be from a nurse that told them, it could be something they read online. It's an easy word that people remember. The concept of that is that this floor, right, 
that floor that sits underneath there, if you can engage those muscles of your core and you can practice squeezing them in, you can squeeze that door shut. They surround that door. It's a nice concept. When you squeeze the door, it relaxes the room and the room says, okay, I'm gonna hold more for as long as you want. That's that concept. Initially um, described or, or idealized for women who had an injury after childbirth. But there's so many problems with how this has worked in practicality. For example, when we try and ask people and, and test them, how do you do? Only 40% of women can actually do it correctly. So that is a huge waste of time on their part wow. and a problem. Yeah, because you've never had to engage those muscles before. You have no idea. And remember, these muscles, this floor is designed to give you very non-specific signals, right? If you think about evolution, if you felt every second of being pregnant, no one would have a second child. They wouldn't want that. I certainly wouldn't. It's really designed to be very, very blunted. So these aren't, this isn't an area like your fingers are where you have very finite control. We, um, I prefer um, what we call in the field, it's pelvic floor physical therapy. So what that means is like a personal trainer for your Kegels, for your pelvic floor. These are physical therapists who are certified in pelvic floor in this base of your core. They're very comfortable treating women. They tend to also be women themselves. Um, they're located, you can go to the American Physical Therapy Association website um, and there is a listing. So no matter where you live, wherever you're listening to this, you can find one in your area. And I suggest that you go to this person and you get a customized instruction and evaluation. Once you have that customized instruction and evaluation, you'll be able to translate that to exercises you can do at home. Just like if you pulled a muscle in your back, just like if you had a knee replacement, if you did any other thing, you wouldn't think twice any other kind of sports injury, right, to go to physical therapy. And it's really important to treat your pelvic core just the same. When we test people with physical therapist, then all of a sudden 80% can do it and see improvement, right? That's a huge difference. There are commercially available sort of Kegel mm -hmm. trainers um, or pelvic floor trainers that women can get at home. Um, you can get them online where it's a device, let's say it's a shape of a flattened egg um, that you can put in the vagina and it can sync to an app. So you can visually see how much pressure you're generating. Are you doing it correctly? Just like I have the activity circle on my yeah. watch, just like you have your Fitbit. So just kind of that concept that this should be part of your exercise routine as well, but do it in a way that you make sure you're not causing harm un unwillingly or unknowingly. Because that was one of my questions. Is there a wrong or dangerous way of doing it? Oh, yes, there okay. is. And many women, as I have them test, doing their sit-ups, etc., I can see the floor coming out. Um, it's like they're pushing out a baby every time they do a push-up. So, yes, I have seen women who have total what we call prolapse. In other words, their V-word turns completely inside out. It can hang down five or six inches and they've never had children, but they're professional weightlifters, for example, or professional dog walkers, right? 150 pound dogs that you're pulling on all wow. the time. Yes, so this is real. So if you are out there and this sounds familiar to you, please, please, please talk to your doctor about seeing a physical therapist that you can work with so that you can start to be aware and protect yourself um, before you know what, what can happen.
any other treatments people should know about that? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So if women are comfortable using a tampon, then and are having a little bit of urinary leakage, let's say um, they know if they've had a full bladder or a glass of wine and then they start laughing, they know they're gonna have a little bit of drops in the underwear or perhaps if they go dancing, um, they might have a larger leakage uh, or, oh, I've just started P90X and I'm, you know, oh, I, I can't really do it because I know my pants are gonna turn colors. Um, there is an over-the-counter uh, tampon for this. It's made by Poise plug, they don't pay me, um, asterisk, I don't get any money for this, but it's made by Poise Only, um, it's called Impressa, and you can order it online or in the big box stores, and you can put it in yourself like a tampon, it's an eight hour device, wear it to help keep you dry, because what it does is it just puts a little bit of pressure on that door to help it stay shut as you are very, very strong. So I was uh, Googling around, and I found a talk you did on pelvic health had a statement saying that preventative health is a lifestyle and I thought that was such an important thing. I'm curious tips to, that people should learn about just to have a, a lifestyle, a preventative lifestyle. Great uh, question and that is so wonderful. Um, I'm so glad that resonates with people <laughs> out there because I really think it's the wave of the future and it's how we, we should behave and how we should think. First, I would say be aware of that fluid intake. Um, don't think that because you read it online that you should drink 8, 10, 15, 16, 25 glasses of water a day. Um, we're moving away from that and the average person um, of normal weight and size um, who does not have a physical activity, you know, severe level that they're sweating, perhaps only needs between a liter, a liter and a half, so maybe is only in the four eight ounce glass world. Um, I think that's a very important one. I think the awareness that not all fluids are good. So sugary, caffeinated, carbonated beverages, we know that they can be irritating for some women. It can make you go more often and you can feel very strange because you say, well, I just you know, had a bowel movement or I just emptied my bladder half an hour ago. Why am I there again? Um, so it's important to identify the things in your that you put into your body. If they make you feel a funny way, don't just say, oh, they're good for me, so it must be fine. Question that and, and stop it. Um, that's an important one. I think that um, bowel movements are a big one, truthfully. Nobody wants to talk about it, but making sure you are aware if there are certain foods in the diet, right, um, tends to be milk products or carbohydrates. Uh, more and more people are discovering that they have problems with gluten. If there are things that you are, again, same thing, putting in your body, but somehow the body is not ejecting it in a way that feels good, talk. The way we like people to have bowel movements or the sort of way we find um, that the body likes to work best is that your bowel movement should be, we call it like a toothpaste consistency or lumpy sausage, about six inch pieces or more. And they should come about an hour after you first wake up or you have your first meal. The reason is as you're asleep, the food moves through your system, right? You're relaxed, that's why we like people to get sleep as well. And then in the morning, it's ready to go. And as you walk around, it starts to descend and send those signals to the body that, okay, I'm ready to go now. And that kind of ties in a little bit with the water. And I hear over and over again, if I drink more water, my poop will be better. And that's not true. It's never been shown to be the case. Walking is the only thing that has been shown to work. So get up and walk. 
take the stairs, stop using the elevators, uh, go back to walking down the hall to see your friend in the apartment building or in your dorm. Don't just text. Um, that really will help you long term. Um, so that's a big one. I think weight management is a big one as well. It's a problem in the United States, not just because we know that increasing weight can worsen pelvic floor disorders. And we do know that even if you lose 8% of your body weight, you know, an overweight person losing 8% of their body weight have a huge impact on their urinary leakage symptoms. Um, but just knowing that the higher the weight tends to be associated with less movement, right? A different dietary pattern, other medical problems that make this worse, like sleep problems, like sleep apnea, diabetes. There's so many of these problems that can happen that make your, have these secondary kind of effects. Um, I really think that that's an important one. I'm talking so much. I'm so sorry. There's so much to say. I could this talk is all day. It, would you encourage people to look at a stool chart? I've seen seven. Yeah. It's, it helps give you, okay, this is maybe what's normal and not normal. And I don't think anyone, everyone Googles a stool chart. But if, yes, <laughs> I say that all the time, that um, not anybody wants to Google vagina. They're not quite sure what's going to pop up. So I do like to give some safe websites. Um, my search uh, history would be shocking to most people. <laughs> um, but... The American College of OBGYN, called ACOG, has a website with patient fact sheets in English and in Spanish. They have some um, moving diagrams um, when it comes to urogynecologic issues that you can see. And we have the American Urogynecologic Society. The acronym is OGS, and the website is um, voices4pfd. Org. Um, so there are some safe places out there to read. Um, I think that uh, you're right. It is a scary place to Google this stuff on the internet. You just don't know who to trust. And so one of my goals and part of the reason I was so excited that you um, invited me to come join your podcast is to really put the word out there that, you know, it's okay to do some research on your own and kind of figure it out. That's the first step with becoming comfortable. Um, if some of those things that you read resonate with you and it works, that's great. But if it doesn't, or if you just want another opinion, come talk to somebody. It's non-committal, right? They're consults for a reason. If you don't find the person that's the right match for you, you don't have to listen to their recommendations. Um, and there's enough of us around that uh, you'll be able to find us. Wonderful. So I have a quick question. I'm curious, I was going to ask your favorite part of your job and the most challenging. And I wonder if this is something that has maybe changed as the internet blossoms and information is readily available mm -hmm. on, you know, your smartphone. Um, when patients come in, is it a challenge to see how much research maybe they've done on their own and sort of battle some of the myths and things. Is that ever a challenge? Oh, sure. There's so many controversies in gynecology. Everybody thinks they can comment on gynecology. It's very interesting um, because most people have been involved in having a period or knowing somebody who does right. or contraception, sexual activity. Because this is a part of everybody's life, everyone feels like they should have a say. But this has always been the case when I was a resident is when Dr. Oz had come out and said that hysterectomy was one of the kind of unnecessary procedures performed on women. We've had comments about hormone replacement therapy through Oprah, through Angelina Jolie. Um, now we have many um, uh, 
press issues related to power morselation in gynecology, mm -hmm. related to implanted mesh for pelvic floor reconstruction. Uh, and in this era of people uniting through social media, it creates a lot of confusion. So actually, to answer your question, it's sort of the same. My favorite part of my job is education. I think I'm an educator at heart. And so um, my ability to translate medicine to English is so um, satisfying to me. But that's also the hardest part because there's more and more out there um, that makes patients distrust doctors. It's a sad thing seeing how much distrust there is of the medical field. Um, and I really hope that, you know, myself personally and leading by example and trying to train people to be the same, you know, that we can make a change in that relationship and we can gain the public's trust again. Well, it's a privilege for me to be a part of this movement with you. So I'm very grateful for your time and all of the knowledge that you shared. Um, so thank you so much. Absolutely. Anytime. If you've liked this episode of The V Word, please visit us at www.vwordpod.com and listen, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at vwordpod. This podcast was written and produced by the V Word team, Dr. Jennifer Conti, Dr. Erica Cahill, and Bethany Bonilla. Thanks for listening.